0: You didn't hear this from me, but Normal Gossip is back for a sixth season. Join host Kelsey McKinney as she shares the juiciest gossip from the real world. Each episode, she's joined by a special guest, and you might recognize a couple this season from the Radiotopia universe. Normal Gossip, named one of the best podcasts of the year by Time Magazine and Vulture, is out now on all your favorite podcast platforms. New episodes starting April 17th.
1: Today we have a very special episode of The Truth. We're going to dig deep into the making of an episode we released way back in September of 2012. Okay, let's try it. You might remember it. It's called That's Democracy.
2: You are voting for a representative. Somebody who's vested with the terrible responsibility of making a decision on behalf of all of you.
1: Okay, well, what decision are they making? Who gets to live? Whoa! Whoa. that's fake. It's about a teacher who holds his class at gunpoint to teach them about representative democracy. And it's just recently been made into a short film by a couple of filmmakers in San Francisco, John Bowden and Cliff Trayman.
3: You're voting for a representative. Someone who's vested.
1: It's really exciting when people like what you do enough to make their own thing out of it. And That's Democracy in particular has gotten a surprisingly enthusiastic response. I was just interviewed on a show called The Podcast Digest a couple months back, and the host Dan Lizette called That's Democracy. Possibly my favorite ever podcast episode
0: of any show I've ever heard. Uh, wow. <laughs> and 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 I mean that. And I'm somebody who listens, Jonathan, six to eight hours a day and have been doing so for about eight years. <laughs> wow. um,
1: this one literally made me stop. Uh, and be like, what have I just heard? That's pretty nice to hear, right? Uh, but then he asked me. Can you tell folks a little bit about how that came about? Because sure. this one literally blew my mind. So, um, and all I could think about was the intensely frustrating writer's meeting we had when we were trying to figure out what the story would even be. It was a meeting that culminated with this. Whatever. I mean, I, I, I don't feel like I'm, I, I don't feel like, I don't agree. With, I don't agree. I just, I, I, I think that I'm right. Wow. I mean, what could possibly have upset me that much? On this episode, we'll find out. We'll talk about where this story came from. And then later on, we'll talk about how we used improv to shape it. And we'll meet Cliff and John, the makers of the new short film. And we'll get a lesson in how not to run a writer's meeting. That's all I had on today's episode of The Truth. And just a quick note, there's some swearing in this, and the story we we're talking about deals with some pretty adult themes. Uh, there's also a ton of spoilers, so make sure you've listened to the original story first. You might even want to see the film first, too. They did a really good job with it. You can watch it on our website, thetruthpodcast.com. Okay, let me set the scene for you. This was back in the spring of 2012. And The Truth had just spent two weeks as the number one podcast on iTunes. And we were looking for ways of building on that momentum and maybe ways of making a little money. And so we thought, well, what if we pitched an hour-long special to public radio? We knew that PRX was a public radio distributor that was looking for ideas. And then we could use that money to produce a handful of stories and release the stories on the podcast. And then at the end of it, we'd have this hour-long special that we could market to public radio stations. So we pitched PRX on the idea of a collection of horror stories that take place within the world of electoral politics. PRX said yes, and so we needed to find good story ideas that would fit that theme. A high school
4: social studies teacher who um, sort of snaps... This is Lewis
1: Kornfeld pitching what became That's Democracy.
4: ...where he just sort of decides, of like, all right, you know, like, we kids... It's like seniors in high school. It's like, it, there is no hope for the future with you people. You don't take anything seriously. You don't understand the value of your voice. Everything's just a popularity contest for you. Um, so I'm going to teach you what it means to be an active member of, of, a, of a civic community, what it means to have a vote and have a say. So we're going to take the five most popular people in this class, and you're going to vote on who's going to be killed. And if you don't vote on who's killed, I'm going to kill all of you. And so it becomes a, this pitching contest of they all have to, these people have to then kind of, they have like two minutes apiece to sell themselves to the rest of the class about why they have a future and uh, why they shouldn't be voted to be killed. So Really killed? Ones, really killed. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. So there's a lot of really great things about this idea. I really liked the teacher posing an ultimatum to the students. I liked that the stakes were who's going to get killed in the class. And, you know, it's a very high stakes situation that involves voting. Um, But what I was thinking as I heard it was, if the teacher is trying to teach the students about their civic responsibility... I felt that the way that politics actually works in the world is that we don't choose people to have something happen to them. What we choose is people who represent us. And then if people get killed, usually it's because of the choices that our representatives make for us. And so it was a subtle distinction, but I felt like it was important to nail down because uh, it sets up what the students are trying to do. And so all this is going through my head as I'm hearing this pitch. And this is what I said. Or maybe the uh, I was just thinking was like that. Maybe the teacher, among other things, represents uh, an, an antagonistic country. So like, what what they're electing is someone to negotiate with him on their behalf. Okay, so maybe I didn't choose the best way to explain what was going through my head, uh, but I really believed that I had a good idea here, so I, I tried to better explain what I meant. It's really about how do they decide, make this decision about who's going to negotiate, who's going to represent them.
4: On I think that's making the
1: analogy like a little too close to real life,
4: though. I think it's more immediate if what you're voting for is like, hey, here's five of your friends, four will die, one will live, you choose. But you're going to make this decision based on an informed decision
1: of why someone deserves to live. Um, that's not like that's not the same as democracy. That's not how politics works. Though. That's not what politics function. Is.
4: Yeah, but it's still yeah, but this it wouldn't be a story about like you know this is about like what are your decisions informed upon? Are they informed by doing the right thing? Or are they informed upon going with the popular choice? Or are they informed? But but, the, but
1: the, all those things can be explored in the context I was just describing. Though. You know, like. It, it just seems like the, the context for what decision they're making should, I think, should be consistent with the analogy that we're trying to make. I don't know. there's something about
4: that that seems too literal to me and kind of moves away from just having a amount of sympathy for the teacher who's losing his mind who's just reached this sort of like desperate place.
1: Now you may have your own opinions about you know who you agree with me or Lewis on this, but uh, where I was coming from was this is going to be a story in a public radio special. Uh, public radio is primarily a news outlet, at least talk public radio is, and so I felt like the more on point our political analogies were, the better the story would play to that audience. I think it needs to. Say something interesting about electoral politics. He needs to make an observation about how that. Works.
0: I'm more interested in the guy losing his shit.
1: That's Christian Palak. He's on Team Lewis.
0: That's what's more interesting to me
1: than making an analogy to our political system. Well, I guess what I'm saying is, why can't you do both? Why- we went back and forth for a really long time on this. For me, that the like choosing someone to die is a muddled analogy. Yeah, but I think it is a more convincing story. But, but I think the teacher, if it's a, if he's a civics teacher he's gonna have an academic agenda maybe wait a second did he just agree with me maybe his agenda is just like you know what you are all fucking brain dead Ugh. It, it took
4: me a long time to pick up on what you meant by like the point that we're making about the real world
1: i asked louis to stop by last week we've been working together for four or five years now but at the time we we're still trying to figure out how to best communicate
4: for the longest time, I think I interpreted that as we need to be saying something very cogent about the 2012 elections. And I had nothing cogent to say. I, I,
1: yeah, I wouldn't have known what that was was either. Yeah, Because I'm don't, i
4: not terribly interested in politics. Yeah, maybe I'm just naive, but I don't see people as like electing people necessarily because they represent them. I see people electing people because this is who I want to see for the next few years and this person I don't ever want to see. This is a voice that, you know what
1: I mean? Like, I, don't, I, I think that's too cynical. I think people are making decisions based on what what policies they want to push forward.
0: I don't know any of the policies. I'm, I don't educate myself on that. I agree. So I choose on personality. Right. I choose on belief yeah. in just a basic, like, I trust that guy. He's probably doing
1: the right thing. I think I that there's always going to be, like... Hence the political situation we find our country in four years later. But I digress. Um, <laughs> I was, at this point, I was pretty worried because how could I do something that's going to play to an audience that really does care about politics with writers who don't really care about politics? But then I thought, maybe there's something in that apathy that we could use. You know, like, he, he can set up a, a, you're making this choice for this reason, and then people don't make their choice based on what he wants, you know, what the actual motivation is. They're saying, like, well, I just like this guy better. Or I just like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, the way that these themes that you guys are talking about play out is through how the kids react to his the decision he's putting in front of them. Mm-hmm.
0: I think we talk about stuff
1: to the point of like trying to fix it or make it best sometimes, and I think we end up sort of shredding it more yeah. than it could be. But, yeah, but I mean, I think what we're trying what we're trying to decide is what. Um, what is the point and what's going to, like, what do we need out of this story? Yeah, I my argument with that would just be, and I don't want to speak for you guys, yeah.
4: <clears throat> it's really hard for me to decide a point beforehand
1: and then come up with material. It, it's, for me... Right, but, but, but what you're saying implies a certain point. It's yeah, it does. Yeah, but direction. what i saying yeah. Okay, clearly we were not communicating. <laughs> and, and I remember I, I felt like there was a moment in there when I really lost my shit. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I mean, I, I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I don't feel like, I don't agree. With, I don't agree. I just, I, I, I think that I'm right. And I think that this is my responsibility. And so I wish you guys would listen to what I'm saying. Okay. I don't think that's the way it's going to work. Okay. End. Now, but I shouldn't have said that. That's never a method that's going to get your ideas actually heard. Okay. But at the same time, it, by that point, it didn't even feel like we were communicating. Uh, that's not, I don't think that's, a, that's, I don't feel like that's what I'm saying.
4: And yet we got it done. And yet we got it done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can only talk for myself, but for me, like if you have a better idea than I do, I'm very happy to take it. But but if the idea makes me write characters doing something that like it don't I don't see why they would go ahead and do that other than because it makes the story work, it's going to take some persuading.
1: I think that's one thing that I've learned from working with you. Like, I think my natural inclination is to think more in terms of structure and uh, like a crossword puzzle, you know, figuring like figuring things out, like by putting the pieces in the right place. Mm -hmm. And you are are more, at least in the work that I've done with you, you, you approach it more from a character perspective where, you know, this is what the character would do naturally. And you sort of have to be true to that. Otherwise, it feels really calculated. Sure. Yeah, totally.
4: I remember thinking about it as, like, what's the emotion I can connect with that, like, syncs me up with, like, politically savvy people, and and I think for me it was, like, strong apathy was the thing, that feeling of there's a problem here and we need to respond to it, and you're just met with a sea of apathy and disrespect, and, like, that was something that I could... Connect yeah. with. I have nightmares like that all the time. I have I have recurring dreams where I'm running a class and nobody's listening to anything I have to say, and and I'm just like raging with frustration. So I once I figured that out, and and I kind of had the the like emotional tone of the story. I, I'm pretty sure the writing of it was pretty straightforward.
1: Yeah. There's also this a uh, real. Um, I think I think we were still much more improv oriented mm-hmm. and you and every, every I mean you and Christian who was also in the room and Matt Evans was actually there too uh and uh you're all like uh, improvisers and so it was kind of like well how do we take what what you know about improv and channel it towards developing a script and they really are two different very different things
4: so, like I remember when I wrote that that now most of my scripts are all like script if you read it they look like a normal script format but that one was Pretty much an outline and if i remember correctly i wrote that one speech for for peter to give
2: yes i don't this is this is not why i became a teacher <laughs> i'm i'm here because i had i had teachers that inspired me that made me feel like my ideas
1: mattered and that's pretty close, by the way, in the in the piece to what you are written.
2: Yeah,
4: I, th- I think like stuff like that is like you don't have to say it verbatim, but if you get the gist of like why this person is talking, it's not just what they're saying, it's w- why are they saying this right
2: now? Well, you, know, you could easily just sit there and not open your mouth. The text wasn't super precious. It was what are we trying to communicate that mattered. And that's why I always love doing these.
1: That's Peter McNerney. He's been in a lot of truth pieces. I don't even know how many at this point. And that's Democracy. He played Mr. Moore. It's sometimes hard and
2: frustrating because you can't skirt around that question. What are we trying to communicate? L- let's not tolerate bullshit. Uh-huh. You know, so yeah.
1: in yeah, this I,
2: one especially. Yeah, I always assume that the audience is smarter than me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I think the best ones are the ones where in the time of recording it, I am most fully physically engaged with what I'm doing, when I'm just sitting and I'm picturing it in my head and just trying to perform it all through my voice, I can hear that when I hear it later. But the best ones are when my all of my senses are engaged. Yeah,
1: I mean, could you uh, describe what it actually looked like when we were recording?
2: We were in a school, we were in our regular classroom.
1: A friend of mine is principal at a high school in New York, and she graciously let us use a classroom one afternoon in the summer when there were no students there, and it really made a difference. To have
2: a bunch of, you know, quote-unquote kids in desks in front of me. All right, guys. No, that's messed up. Uh, let's because uh, I, can't like I could put it in my body. Uh, we're past time, so let's get
1: rolling. I could feel the status dynamic by physically being there. I liked that you also had a chalkboard as a prop to, to kind of articulate certain moments. Yeah. You know.
2: Representative. What is that? Democracy. I can't read your handwriting, sir.
1: Another nice thing I really like about using improv is that it uh, involves the actors more. It gives them an opportunity to contribute more to the writing and dig deeper into the story.
2: I also had, I had an idea because the, the only other so we, we talked about is the idea like why did he bring a gun if he wasn't planning this, and if it is like mr Moore why do you have why do you have a gun because I was going to kill myself this morning, and that didn't work out so we're now we're doing this
1: it's the only time really we get any sort of understanding about why he might be doing this or what you know what led up to this moment other than just the um, complete disrespect and apathy of the students
2: you know just the hearing that line i I didn't realize at the time, but i'm see that I was seeing. That moment of him giving up in what looks like a boy's bathroom in a school early in the morning in front of the mirror with his gun, seeing himself and realizing he doesn't have an in him and he can't even do this. Huh. And it's that's it's sort funny because the
1: film has a v- basically that scene without the gun. <sighs> oh, my God, that's true. <laughs> yeah. That blows my mind. Also, a, a really nice moment that only happened in one take uh that ended up in the story is at the end of the piece right before he puts his gun to his head you say that's democracy and that's where the title of the piece comes from what 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 i need is when you do that i need you to say something that more clearly um uh, indicates say all right that's your choice (laughs) yeah um Um, Maybe you say something like. uh, Now that's democracy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like.
2: Now you get it. It's like. You you learned! It blows my mind to hear that that's democracy wasn't in the script. In my mind, that was the title the whole time.
1: No, no, the title was like Civics Class, I think was the working title. So finally, it came time to put the hour long special together that was going to be distributed by PRX and air on public radio stations. I included three pieces Uh, Do You Have a Minute for Equality? Third Party, and That's Democracy. I sent it off to PRX, and they came back, and they didn't want That's Democracy on the show. They thought that dealing with violence and guns in schools was too sensitive of a subject matter, and so That's Democracy would never air on public radio. It's not
2: that surprising. I mean it was around the time of another school shooting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the bigger the it seems bigger like
1: nowadays are. every time is around the time of
2: Yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. There is another footnote to this story. Uh, our version of that's democracy actually has been released with two different endings.
4: Um, the original ending had a... had an epilogue after um, Mr. Moore shoots himself where you hear Eric describing the entire thing and you realize that he's reading
1: it as a personal essay.
4: In those harrowing and final moments, I saw the worst and the best of people.
1: Why did you choose to end it that way?
4: Um, um... I think because of who Eric was in my mind, that like, to me, Eric represents uh, the kind of person who I think would probably eventually end up being a politician.
1: I I don't know if if you get from the speech that he became a politician or would become a politician. No,
4: that was just in my mind. I don't think that's communicated. But in my mind, it was this thing of like... You know how, like, at the end of a horror movie, you think that you contaminated the zombie disease, and at the very end, you see that there's one person who still has the contamination, and they manage to escape? That was the thing. That, like, Mr. Moore made this really dramatic gesture that, that even at the end of the day, maybe some good come out can come out of it. Maybe some people will be rattled enough to have a little bit more of a sense of responsibility. But Eric is not one of those people. He managed to turn this thing on his head and, and succeed with it. And that was my Harvard essay. They loved it. Can you believe that? I got in.
1: (laughs) The first time we released it, the piece got a great reaction, except for the ending. People didn't know what to make of it. Oh, it didn't work, but I would do it the exact same way again. Why would you do something again that you don't think works? It doesn't bother me when stuff doesn't always work in stories.
4: I like it when it's a little bit grainy. It To me, it actually just kind of enhances it a little bit. It makes it feel like it breathes a little bit more.
1: Right. See, I think, I feel like it's a problem for the story because it provokes people to ask the wrong questions. Mm-hmm. People, I think a lot of people were just confused by it. Yeah, I think that that's true. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel like it works without it now?
4: Uh,
2: fine.
1: <laughs> do, you, do you wish that I hadn't cut it out?
4: <laughs> uh, no, I think you made the right call. uh
1: um, yeah, I think it like works the way that you cut it gunshot
4: and that's the end of the story It's also very jarring and I think that it leaves you feeling unsettled It leaves it feeling it's like It's the end of the story, but it also feels like Unfinished in an upsetting way, which you know for a halloween story. That's pretty good.
1: Yeah Well it leaves you I it I, for me. It leaves you just the right amount of things to think about Mm-hmm
3: Hi, Jonathan. I've recently been introduced to
1: your podcast. I got this email in September of of 2014. 2014. It was from a filmmaker named John Bowden.
3: Together with cinematographer Cliff Trayman, we'd love to base a short film on your podcast, That's Democracy. When I heard it the first time, um, I was like, like Cliff sent it to me in a podcast, you know, obviously the podcast. I put it, I put my earbuds in and I was walking down the street. Um, and, and somebody who knows me, like saw me walking like a zombie. Like I was just, I was so zoned in, uh, and he actually jumped in front of my face and was like, Hey, and I literally was just like, not now. And just walked right by.
1: It's always really exciting and flattering whenever we get an email from a filmmaker who wants to make one of our stories into a film. Um, it's really kind of exciting. You kind of think, well, yeah, maybe that would be cool to see, um, Sometimes you think, oh, well, I, I really prefer that as a radio story. I wish you wouldn't. But in this case, I think the the story really suits itself well to the medium. And they already made a feature called the full picture. And they seem competent.
0: Well, I mean, Cliff and I are both full-time, you know, filmmakers. So as we do a lot of commercial work. You know, shooting, say, the spots for the San Francisco Giants or, you know, different things for, say, Google or, you know, a lot of the big Silicon Valley corporations here.
1: And so we said yes, and we became co-producers on it. Uh, But they pretty much handled all of the production. Our names are just on it, really. And they stuck pretty close to the original version. The script is almost a verbatim transcript.
3: You two are going to give some speeches to the class. And you guys are going to have a chance to vote. We don't have speeches. You're going to make it up, Eric.
1: Can we just do the (laughs) worksheet? Can we? The one place where they did take some liberties is when they were thinking through what the ending might be the filmmakers went through several different ideas, Uh, here's the first idea that they'd written.
3: I pitched Cliff, like, what if we... Because he writes writes democracy on the wall, right? And I thought, like, okay, well, here's a great moment. He shoots himself in the head, blood splatters on the board. It comes dripping down, so you have... You know, red stripes, like American flag, blue lettering, (laughs) like the flag, right? And then we just put a big that's over the blood splatch, where it'd be that's democracy for an end title.
1: I saw that in the script. I remember they sent me and I said, this is, I think you should take this out. This is over. It doesn't really fit the tone of the movie. And I think they felt the same way.
0: Uh, That was a little too much.
1: The ending they shot was... uh,
0: Mr. Moore's lying on the floor dead and the kids you know just pour out of the room and it's the first time the camera's like in the hallway outside and the kids just run out as Jessica the blonde runs out and then just can't go and she just sort of collapses against the wall and you know drops down to the floor in you know total shock and the kids are running in slow motion out towards a um, you know like a blown out light at the end of the tunnel you know sort of like it's this, a great shot this metaphor no I mean <laughs> you know, from a yeah I mean it looked great you yeah know. that yeah. never made it into the film
3: right what was
0: that it, um, it, it, it took away
3: from the impact of the story. Uh, it became melodramatic.
0: Right. Um, well, and also going into the light. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I mean, let's be honest. What the hell was that?
1: Yeah. The ending they went with was Mr. Moore holds the gun up to his head.
4: That's democracy.
1: And just before he would pull the trigger, it cuts to black.
3: The silence that plays without hearing it fills a room Mm -hmm. and you know it would have been lovely (laughs) to play this in a in a a theater full of people and to have that moment where the entire crowd is left silent and so do you have plans to or what's the what are your plans for the future well i mean you know uh like like i told you i mean we did submit to sundance and cans and and uh you know they we didn't get in. Uh, you know, those are incredibly tough. There's like 7,000 submissions, that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's time. It's all submitting them and waiting and submitting and waiting and submitting and waiting. And the immediacy of sort of uh, the internet and, you know, if the piece itself I and mean, what what's the goal is, the goal is to get eyeballs on it.
1: And so that's why we're sharing it on our website. We would love for you to see this film. They did an amazing job with it. It's really, really well done. But hearing them talk about how hard it is to get distribution for a film, how hard it is to get seen, made me appreciate all of you guys who listen to the podcast. Um, it's really nice to have a regular audience who's there and interested in hearing the stories we make.
3: You know, filmmaking, which is this great controlling uh, medium, like, you know, in terms of you know, deciding what, what's going to be there, what to do, what to... And then suddenly you go into distribution and you are powerless
0: what can you do? You know, so I kind of, I, you know, I, I, that's what, that's what themes really struck a chord with me when I, when I heard this is that, you know, it's like I get Mr. Moore's desperation. Um, you know, I'm not saying I'm an advocate of, uh, you know, his, his endgame, but I think that's what the film meant to me. It's a study in somebody that had no power, and this was the only thing that he could do.
2: What did you think of the film? It's very good. It's very well made. It was great. Obviously, they made it their own in a lot of great ways. But as somebody who was in that place, in that headspace, there was just these moments where you felt like somebody broke into your brain. It felt vulnerable and and weirdly like somebody had been stealing my thoughts. It's like
1: they're proving that they were observing you. Yeah. You yeah. Someone I mean?
2: was looking yeah. into
4: my brain. <laughs> and I uh, I don't really feel the sense of ownership of a lot of our stories of the thing of like they got it so wrong it's more just the thrill of like oh neat interpretation you know mm-hmm. but it must be different for you because you put a lot more of your of your blood sweat and tears into it
1: I think the thing about it is it's, it's just nice to get to know filmmakers and to uh, explore what films can do and to see what our writing can do in a different medium and it's there for anyone to see and uh, it's nice to know that all that all that work was for something, you know? You can watch the film That's Democracy on our website, thetruthpodcast.com. And after you see the film, there's a comment section on our website. Let us know what you think. And if you want to help us out, Write us a review on iTunes, share this episode on Twitter, Facebook, and please help spread the word about our show. Radiotopia from PRX is made possible with support from the Knight Foundation and by Mailchimp, who celebrate creativity, chaos, and teamwork. If you'd like to support the truth by advertising on our show, send us an email at sponsor at PRX.org. Our associate producer is Carrie Kasten. Our intern is Shelby L. Atmani. I'm Jonathan Mitchell, and you have been hearing...
2: The Truth
1: radio topia